0: Hello, this is The Credentialed, the show where we talk to fascinating business people in the world of technology and innovation who don't fit the technology exec stereotype. I'm your host, Kate Kay. Today we have a guest I've really been looking forward to chatting with. Here with me in the studio is Allison Cliff Jennings. Uh, Allison is a chief technology officer turned CEO of Filament, uh, a firm that modernizes industrial equipment for manufacturing, mining, oil and gas, auto, and other industries. Yeah. You know, I think Filament is so such an interesting company because it's. I think that it just has a lot of implications for the world around us that a lot of people would be able to grasp, probably a little bit more than they might expect. Sure. And I'd love to have you explain what you guys do.
1: Of course, yeah. So Filament uh, is focused pretty much exclusively on this concept of long-term but connecting legacy industrial infrastructure. So this means like all of the old stuff out there. This is um, power poles, manufacturing lines, fleets of vehicles like buses and rail systems, um, uh, uh, mining, as you mentioned, construction. All of these things have stuff. They have like equipment that they use. And there's all sorts of inefficiencies when they use them. And so, what filament is trying to do as a as a first short-term pragmatic aspect is to connect that old infrastructure, connect the legacy infrastructure, to to make what we call uh, make it smart and connected. And what mm-hmm. that means then is that these old machines can start to have a little bit of a a brain, if you will, and a little bit of a a mouth and ears, so communication and logic, to start to do things even in a very simple way that make them more efficient, and thus less waste, less pollution, less um, inefficiencies overall. So that's kind of the first step, and then we have this other bigger one that's kind of more sci fi that we can get
0: into. Yeah, I'm definitely interested (laughs) in that part, but can you elaborate a little bit on the Reducing waste and sure. streamlining and creating efficiencies. And that yeah, sort of
1: I'll thing. give you a couple of examples because we hear these all the time, and it's it's appalling kind of because we hear about these stories from these big companies. These are huge companies that are a little scary in their size because they're so big. Fortune 50s, meaning top 50 company sizes in the world, Fortune 500s, etc. And um, the stories they tell us are just almost ridiculous because it's 2017 and they're still doing things really poorly. One story that I like to use is that um, there's a really large construction company. This is a massive construction company that's based out of the Midwest of the U.S. Mm-hmm. They build things like like the project we were working with them on was a 28-lane highway project in Dallas-Fort Worth around the airport. So, you know, 28 lanes is a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> It's a lot of equipment. It's a lot of asphalt. It's a lot of, you know, plowing and grading and all that stuff. What happens is they have this big worksite, 20 miles long by 20 miles wide, and they have these buckets that connect to the tractors that dig ditches and grade. Mm -hmm. These things are called attachments. They will set the attachments down when they're doing work, and they will lose them on this 400 square mile worksite. And so they're literally radioing around to their their workers, hey, I need this 18-inch wide bucket. And so you have people driving all over the worksite looking, radioing back, I don't see it, keep looking, <laughs> okay. And you know, time clock, right? Yeah. And they're, they're bidding on time and they have to pay penalties if they're late. So what happens is they find a 24 inch bucket too big and they'll start digging the trench and they're spending more gas to dig the trench, they're digging more dirt, they have to backfill it, uh-huh. more wear and tear on the truck, on the tractor. It's inefficient. Wow. And so the point is, is that if you could just give them an Uber map style, where is my bucket? (laughs) Very simple. Uh, You can actually save what comes down to tens of millions of dollars in cost over the course of the project. So
0: we're talking about basically like Mm. a physical device that's being that is attached to this legacy stuff, whatever it is, this analog equipment or a bucket. Yeah,
1: purely mechanical. Inside. It's like a piece of steel and hydraulic. There's no electrical aspect at all on a bucket. Think of it like when humans started carrying phones around, smartphones. It's like it made them more connected, I guess, mm-hmm. in some ways, for better or worse. <laughs> but it, it gave them capabilities they did not have before. And we're, we're trying to more do trackable now. Well, that's the bad part <laughs> of <it. laughs>
0: double-edged sword, right? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, so I know there's another really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about the sci-fi aspect here. Yeah and um, i think what you're getting at is this value exchange That's right. um, yeah. concept yeah. so the idea that a machine can have some sort of value um instilled in it or established somehow right, yeah. through the t- yeah. talk about it yep so um
1: so the, the, the smart and connected concept, this first one we just talked about, was to try to make machines or give machines the ability to have some semblance of um, communication with other machines or with people, and then also make simple decisions, what we call logic or smart. So we would say smart and connected, smart is the make a decision piece. Connected means I can communicate. If you expand that to also giving these machines the ability to have economic capability being able to and and economics is not just money it's really important to note this it's exchange of value so the simplest element in value chain or an economic stack would be something along the lines of trust. So if you can start to instill trust in a machine, um, can you trust that the machine tells you the data that's supposed to? Well, we have all sorts of trust in our political environment right now. We have all sorts of trust in social media issues right now. Trust is an important issue, not just money, but trust. And so um, we are also trying as another, the second fork of our approach is to bring this economic capability or trust to machines. And if you do that, then you can start to remove inefficiencies around auditing, regulation, Um, pollution, waste, things that people fake or lie or misrepresent themselves about or their machines about Mm -hmm. in a way that you can start to now trust the machine because it's autonomous.
0: So, so, all right. So I'm envisioning a scenario in which like somebody's job is to maybe monitor mm-hmm. a bunch of machines and like he or she's writing down like right. <laughs> this many whatever widgets, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so you're, so give me an example. Um, you know, a real world example of this kind of value exchange.
1: Yep. So um, there's a, there's a project that we are not working on but we're familiar with in colorado northern colorado where there's all these oil well heads you know you see the pumps that go up and down very common um on public land so this is blm land that the federal government owns and bureau of land management bureau of land management federal land management agency who will lease certain plots of land for oil to private companies and so there's an organization there's a there's an agreement there's regulatory oversight about not leaking oil onto public lands um, for environmental catastrophe reasons and so what will happen is that if the pressure of the oil well head that's pulling the, the oil out gets too high it could leak uh, it's just like anything that's too high pressure like a car or anything else it can leak if it's too high what happens is that they need to stay below a certain regulatory pressure or else they have to pay a big epa fine which is environmental protection agency right mm-hmm. another agency in the u.s so the, what happens is people just write them down and send them in, and the EPA and the BLM agencies have to trust.
0: To just write down the pressure, whatever they're they're claiming it registered right, as. Right. Yeah. So this is
1: this this means that the the private company that's leasing the the land can misrepresent what's actually happening. But it goes both ways. If if it turns out that the EPA does an inspection and finds out that an oil well head is leaking, they will charge a. Um, a fee, a fine, a, a penalty for the entire year, even if it only leaked one day before. Because they're
0: sort of extrapolating
1: yeah, out the worst saying, case scenario. We think you probably mm-hmm. do this every day. But if you had a machine that said, "Oh, I've been leaking for four days," then you could be honest, both sides could say like, we should only pay the four day penalty. Hmm. Or even better, I should have told you a week ago that I'm about to blow and so you need to go and come and shut off. That's the smart and connected piece. So they all kind of interconnect in the sense that you can, it's really less about let's make more money. It's much more about like, let's be a little more responsible and efficient with Mm -hmm. these trillions of dollars of assets globally that manage all of our stuff that we use like electricity and power and manufacturing, construction, et cetera.
0: Okay, we'll return to our chat with Allison Clifton Jennings, CEO of Filament, in just a moment. I'll take a quick break here to remind you that you're listening to The Credentialed, a podcast giving voice to people in tech and innovation who don't fit the mold when we think tech executive. I'm Kate Kay, and I'm your host. Do you know someone who should be featured on The Credentialed? Are you someone who should be on? Let us know. Email me at kate at the com or tweet to us at the cred podcast. That's kate at the com or the cred podcast on Twitter. Now back to our chat with Allison Clift Jennings, CEO of Filament. So, is there anything that you guys are working on at Filament that is like advanced to a level that it's actually functioning that way where it's like, you know, for instance, the Pressure gauge that the EPA sees is actually correct, and the p- private entity running it agrees that that data is correct. Or you know, yeah,
1: yeah. So we're close. So a little bit of our struggle as a startup is that we um, people understand and companies understand this smart and connected piece that makes sense to them. It's not a new concept. We can use the analogy of smartphones and et cetera. Um, the economic side is newer to them, so we spend a lot of our time educating them, and so. A lot of them are still trying to figure out what this means. We had literally had a phone call last week, and it was so funny. This was a very high-level executive, senior vice president at this major corporation we've all heard of that does manufacturing control systems. Like we all we know them, and um, and they li- well, they- I'm guessing. <laughs> you may be right. You may not be right. <laughs> if you're right, that's a very good guess. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> They told us that they said we know there's something here. We know this is the future. We don't fully understand it yet, so we want to work with you in pilots, pilot projects, to figure out what it is. And um, that's really the state of the of the land right now for all of this. There is one project we have done that I think sets the point home. Probably one of the most forward thinking projects in the economic side, which is we worked with. Um, NASDAQ you may be familiar with is a stock exchange Mm -hmm. that does technology startup, you know, stock exchange. And then there's a very popular design agency called IDEO based out of San Francisco, other places too. We did a joint project with IDEO and with NASDAQ and Filament. And we, um, we wanted to reinvent the way that renewable energy is created and transacted. So right now, quickly, I'll mention there's this concept called a renewable energy credit. This is something you get when you create energy that's renewable. Put a solar panel up or wind, someone comes to your house or to your, you know, your solar field and they write down, this is how big it is. And you get about this much sun per year. And here we are clipboards again. <laughs> yeah. There's a, you see a, this meta theme here of clipboards and people writing mm-hmm. things down, trusting each other. Um, what we want to do is to allow the, the, um, the solar panel to issue its own, what's called a digital asset, its own renewable energy credit, which can be traded for money. It's like a mm-hmm. share. It's like a stock share. It's a thing you can buy or sell. And, um, and so we're like, can we have this this thing, this this solar panel issue its own? Can it make its own money, basically, on behalf of the person who installed it, and invested in it? So we hooked our device up to it, and we put all the cryptography pieces into it that requires that builds the trust into the economic piece, and we were placing digital um, assets, renewable energy credits, into the Nasdaq Private Markets Marketplace. Huh. Um, and you once you fire the solar panel up and you put it outside, it starts dribbling out money, basically, essentially, and so. That really starts to get people's heads turning going, I get it now. There's not all these middlemen. There's not these um, places for fraud and um, inefficiencies take place. It's really congruent and it's very fluid at that point. And you start to map that across all different industries, it gets pretty big.
0: So uh, there's sort of a connection here potentially or an application that's probably a little bit more something that people, everyday people could relate to. Mm-hmm that we've talked about, um, and that's the idea that, you like, other types of equipment could have this kind of val- intrinsic value associated with it through essentially digitizing, creating data from mm-hmm. your hammer or your uh, right. power tools or <laughs> oh, something. Oh, yes, that's right. That's a good example. And that the whole, I mean, I mean, I know, like, there's kind of this broader vision that you have of Um, steering people away from consumer culture and from, you know, always having to buy something new every time they need to use a tool, for example.
1: Yeah, Cory Doctorow has a lot of... um things to say about this as a sci-fi author that I'm a big fan of around post-scarcity, right? And so the concept, the idea is that um, we're moving into a sharing economy. It seems like we're moving there fairly prolifically with Airbnb, Uber, et cetera, where you don't necessarily have to buy the things you use. Um, You just need to buy the service or more appropriately, the experience or the need. Like, Like one could argue that when you Pay for Airbnb. You're not paying for a house or a room. You're paying. You're paying for shelter. Like you're you're paying for a roof over your head and safety to some degree and warmth. Um, same with a car. You're you're paying for physical transportation, not for the ride right experience. I think what we're trying to um, to help expand is to give that capability to more things. Right. What does it look like if um, you don't all have to buy the same thing? And I'll use a good example. And we may <laughs> we may be a little uh, a little bit. Um, Spoiled on this because I shared this with you already, so you might know the answer. But I'll I'll say it again for the, on behalf of all the listeners. Um, we like to use this example of what this means to set the point home. If you take a typical power drill, the one you would buy at like Lowe's or Home Depot, this is a drill that maybe costs hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, something like that. You can, you know, battery powered, very powerful. You can drill holes, etc. Um, if you take it for its lifetime of its of its existence before someone throws it away and buys a new one, and this is a consumer. This is like you or I in our closet or garage how long do you think in an entire lifetime of that device is the motor actually turning like how often is it used in aggregate if you had to guess in a time duration any idea
0: i mean let's say it's mm. sitting in my garage for 30 years <laughs> sure maybe you drill um, a hole of a year maybe two yeah holes of like, of a i year, don't know that. maybe like, like a few hours or something yeah. a, a few hours mm. to Tens of hours or, you know, I mean, not a lot. I it's imagine. nine to 12 minutes is the wow. answer. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: but then think about this. Scoot back for a moment and be like, you have a drill. I have a drill. Everyone has a drill in their garage their closet, whatever their apartment, you know, in a, in a, in a, you know, Rubbermaid bucket, whatever. That's wasteful. Like that's silly. We don't need all, we don't all need to have drills. We don't, we really don't. What we need is we need holes and screws put into walls or things like that, or we need to borrow it for a week. So what happens if you could start to apply this as-a-service concept to a drill? Not because we want to extract more value out of people who use it and and make a bunch of money necessarily, but because we don't all need physical drills. Mm -hmm. One could argue that if you could rent drills instead of buy them, it's probably going to be a pretty amazing drill like they're gonna make it really nice. <laughs> it's yeah. like like because they don't have to make as many and they could they the the manufacturer can make a really fancy one that might be used for uh, a construction contractor that's like the super you know bells and whistles one and if they do that then you get to use that too so you actually get a better experience but you pay less and there's less waste in sitting in on garage so um, this concept is called the sharing economy right and um, filament you know part of this economic second piece of it is to help, bring the mechanics that are necessary to pay for things as a service for the goal of not all having to be consumerists and own these things necessarily, but we, you know, you don't even need drill as a service. What you want is hole as a service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need a hole in the
0: wall and right. you'll pay for it, <laughs> right? That's really what, you, it's it's a different mindset, right? Yeah. But it's it's an important distinction. Do not fear. There is more with Allison in our second half of the conversation. On our next episode of The Credentialed, we'll discuss what it was like for Allison as a CEO trying to earn funding for her company while she was smack dab in the middle of her gender transition from male to female. This is a must listen show. So I hope you'll join us. Again, thanks to Allison Clift Jennings, CEO of Filament, for chatting today on The Credentialed. You can find out more about Filament at Filament.com. Do you know someone who doesn't fit the technology executive stereotype who should be featured on The Credentialed? Are you someone who should be on? Let us know. Email me at kate at thecredentialed.com or tweet to us at thecredpodcast. That's Kate at thecredential.com or the Cred Podcast on Twitter. And thanks for listening to the Credentialed.